0: to everyone this morning and especially if you're a guest with us today. We are so happy to have you in service with us. It is our hope and prayer that the Spirit of the Lord touches your life today as only He can do. If you're watching us online, wherever you may be joining us from, we welcome you as a part of this service today as well. I'd like to read A couple of verses as we begin this morning, Isaiah chapter sixty-six. We had uh, a session yesterday with Brother Grossbach and all of our small group leaders, and always, as always, it was a very beneficial time. And uh, he read a verse yesterday morning, and when he read it, it just. As often as the case, it just stuck. And I feel like it's what the Lord has directed me to this morning. So Isaiah 66, beginning with verse number 1. Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. And that's, that's a really awesome thing. And most of the time when I've heard this verse, or if I've used this verse, that's the focus. About the fact that whatever you're dealing with, whatever's going on in your life, it's under his feet. When you've got something under your feet, it's a it's a sign of who's in charge. So that, that is the case, but it's it's the second part of what stuck yesterday. The Lord asked the question Where is the house that you build unto me? where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, and all these things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. The Amplified says verse number one this way, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind King James says, where is? The Amplified says, what kind of house would you build for me? And what kind can be my resting place? I want to preach to you this morning, and as a title, I have a question. Does God have a resting place in you? Does God have a resting place in you? In you, God, I thank you so much for your presence here today. I thank you, God, for your spirit working and moving in this sanctuary already this morning. Lord, we may not know what they are yet. We may not have heard the testimonies yet. But I believe, God, you have done miracles in this place already today. So now, Lord, I pray that you would continue ministering in this service and that you would do that through your word, that your spirit would touch hearts and lives today. God, not with a sermon, but with a message that would come from you. I trust you, God, to allow me to be a messenger for you today. I want to say what you want me to say, God. I trust you today. I depend on you for your anointing, Lord knowledge that without you I can do nothing, Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. There is, and I know many of you know this and have heard this, but for some perhaps that haven't, let me just say that with every passage, with every verse, there is what is to me in essence the primary message or context or application of that verse. But one of the amazing things about the word of God to me is every verse has layers and layers of truth and understanding and application. I've been preaching for 30 plus years now and one of the things that is really uh one of the most enjoyable things to me is when when a verse that is a very commonly known verse a very commonly used verse that all of a sudden you see it from a whole different light you see it at a whole different level there's a there's an understanding of it that opens up that that after years and years of knowing it you you never saw that before you never thought of it that way before I think it's very, under, it's very important that we use Scripture in its proper context. You can, you can basically get the Bible to say anything you want it to say. You can. By taking a verse and using it out of context. One that pops to mind is the verse that says, If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Wow, that's awesome, isn't it? I can ask anything in Jesus' name and He will do it. i got to tell you, I've tried that and it doesn't work. Some of you have tried that and it doesn't work. Anything down to as ridiculous as, Lord, please let me make this green light in Jesus' name. To some very important things. Because when you read the context, you find out that's not just a magical formula to get whatever you want. So I say all of that because it's important for me, for you to understand that really what I'm about to preach to you is not the primary context of this verse, but I think it is a principle and an application. That we can draw from this verse. Because in essence, what he's what he's talking about, Acts, in the book of Acts, it references this passage in Acts 7 and 48. It says, Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophets. It was referencing this passage that that God does not dwell. My my viewer guest today, that was my wife leading worship this morning, and it, as she very accurately said, this this is not the church. This building is not the church. But it is a place where the church gathers. I I believe this is a church building because that's what we've set this aside for. The bottom line is, wherever the church gathers can become a church building. All over the world this morning, churches have met and will meet, are meeting in in various types of facilities. And when they gather together, that becomes the church's building, at least for that day. What I appreciate about this building is it is able to be set aside for this purpose. And, And when we talk about the house of the Lord, this is not the house of the Lord. It is a place where we gather for for kingdom things for for spiritual things but but there was this there was this idea that they were dealing with in the Old Testament that we are going to build God a house and and perhaps the idea was we are going to build God a house that will be the house God responds and says he- heaven is my throne I earth is my ottoman how in the world do you think you're going to build me a house that can contain me and so that that's the primary but i I think there's another thing for you and I to glean from this verse, and that is let's just kind of take it at face value of what it says of the questions it asks God says, "Where is the house that you build me, and where is the place of I rest. I'd I'd like to rephrase that second question and say it this way. Where is the place that I can rest? Or where is the place that I can be at home? Because you know what? There's a whole lot of people that are very comfortable with the concept of a building being the church and we go visit God's house. There's a lot of people that are good with that. In fact, there's a lot of people that are good with that being a normal part of their weekly schedule. I'm going to go to God's house on Sunday morning. Can I tell you, first of all, that's not God's intent. That's not God's plan. That's that's not God's desire. That's not God's design. God doesn't sit here all week long waiting for you to show up next Sunday morning. God's interested in a house. God's interested in a place to dwell. But it's not a building. In in the Old Testament, he told the children of Israel, he said it two times in similar ways. In Exodus 29 and 45, he says, I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. In Leviticus 26 and verse 12, he says, I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. He said, I'm going to be among you. I'm going to be with you. And while I am with you, I want you to build me a place that represents where my presence dwells. And so God instructed Moses to build a tabernacle and and it was to be the focal point where they set up camp because there was in that tabernacle this place called the Holy of Holies and there was this piece of furniture called the Ark of the Covenant and it represented the manifestation of the presence of God. And when they looked at that tabernacle and they knew what it was, they, they knew what was in it and they knew what it represented, it was, it was no doubt reassurance to them that God is with us. When we look at that tabernacle, we, we know that God is among us. When we look at that tabernacle, we know that God is walking with us. Can I tell you today some great news? God's ultimate desire was not to just live among His people. God's ultimate desire was not to just have a tabernacle that he could be with his people. That was only the starting point. That, uh, that was only a part of the process. And that tabernacle that Moses built was not intended to be the final resting place of God. God was just saying, I want this to be a mental picture to you of what I am ultimately trying to get to. Because what I'm ultimately trying to to get to is this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 16. Know ye not that you Know ye not that you are the temple of of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. It's not about God dwelling in this man-made tabernacle anymore. It's now about God dwelling in you. It's not about a tent being God's house. It's not about a temple that Solomon or someone else builds being God's house. God is looking for a house, but it is not a physical structure. God is looking for a place to rest but it's not a man made building if you know anything about me at all you know I love this place literally this physical place I love it I, there, There's the only place I know of that I would rather be most times than right here would just be at home at my house. It is a house of miracles. As Again, as was said, it's not the only place God does miracles. The same God that's here this morning is the same God that's at your physical house when you go home. The same God that's here right now is the same God that's going to be in your car with you when you... Same God. Part of the value of what happens here is sometimes I reach a place that my faith is kind of wavering and sometimes I'm I'm struggling and sometimes I'm weak and sometimes I don't have what it takes to get to God all by myself. when i gather together with people of like precious faith i, I mean there's times i walk in one of the one of the blessings of being up on the platform every service is you you can't take a service off all of you out there have a luxury of sitting and doing nothing if you don't if that's what you feel like doing i sit service after service sometimes i want to go get the they call it a stethoscope, right? Heart thing. Sometimes I want to, we got a emergency box here somewhere. I think it's got, I want to go get a stethoscope because I want to come make sure some of you're still alive. Somebody told you we were playing the game of statue this morning. I don't, I'm not talking about the guests. I expect the guests to sit and stare. In fact, I, I hope most of the time guests sit and are thinking, my God, never, these people, I, that's great. And I hope they say, I'll never come back. Because most of you said that your first time, and here you are. But I, I it, Seriously, think about it for a moment. If this worship team was up here this morning leading, and I was sitting here like this, what would you be doing? Whoa, what's wrong with pastor this morning? He ain't worshiping. He's just sitting there. Oh, no. uh-huh. Uh-huh. Talk about that. So I don't have that luxury. So a little secret, some of you already know this, because I've told this many times, but a little secret, some of you may not know, I don't do everything I do up here, every single service, because it's what I feel like doing. Sometimes I start off for one reason. If I don't do this, people are going to wonder what's wrong with me. If I sit and do nothing, people are going to think there's something going on with Pastor Wright. But I can promise you this. There's never been one single time where I started off because of what I felt an obligation to do. That at some point, it didn't shift And it was now no longer about what I have to do. It's now what do I get to do and what am I now starting to feel. And you know what? That usually happens because there's others who have helped to create an atmosphere that I don't have to get there all by myself. That's why the last thing you need to do when you're struggling in your walk with God is just stay home. I'd rather hear me this morning. I'd rather you come and sit and stare the whole service and do nothing. Because I know that when you get into the sanctuary, anything can happen. Anything can happen. So I want you to hear me. I'm not I I, I don't devalue. In fact, I value this place as much as, if not more, than most. But there's something more than just what we do here. Because God's not interested in dwelling here. God's looking for a house. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 16 says this, What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. that's what you and I have the opportunity to be some of you have taken this airbnb thing to another level you've turned your house not physical this house you've turned it into an airbnb God, I I got a you. I got some time. If you want to stay here on Sunday morning for a few hours, you're welcome. But uh, checkout time is, and Airbnb is. A, if you got a family of six and now eight, fam, uh Airbnb is a great thing because you can get a house, multiple bedrooms, cheaper than you can pay for three or four decent hotel rooms. But it's not your place. Just this past week, we stayed in two different Airbnbs. You know what? Neither one of them, if it was my house, it wouldn't have looked the same way it looked. wouldn't have been decorated the same way it was decorated. wouldn't have had the same furniture in it that it had in it. But it wasn't my house. I was simply a guest. I, I was a visitor. We we, uh, we we we've, I think ninety or I don't not ninety actually, more recent. But I think eight or nine years ago was the first time we started using Airbnb. And the problem is this: you can make anything look great in the pictures. We stayed in one place, it wasn't Airbnb, it was Verbo or Home Away, one of those a couple years ago. And I mean the pictures were great, it was right on the water. Had this one of the pictures was this beautiful new vanity in the master bathroom. What they didn't show you was that was the only thing new in that bathroom. The floor wasn't new. And a lot of other things. We were heading to the second one we stayed in this past week on our trip, and we were right around the corner getting ready to make a right on the road. It was going to be a couple of houses down, and I just kind of said to my wife, I don't know if Timothy was listening or not, but I just said, Well, here comes the moment of truth. It's really exciting if you have stay in an Airbnb because there's that moment you find out. Are the pictures correct? Or did they just trick us? God's not interested in just showing up every now and then. And finding out how prepared are you for Him. God is looking for a place to dwell. He's looking for a place to rest. And it's not a building. It's not a physical location. It's you. It's me. Where? Where, where, Where's the house? Where's the place to rest? We have so made Christianity about what God can do for us. And there are so many people that are willing to be Christians as long as God is doing for them what they want. But when they start to realize, you know what, God's not going to do everything for me that I want. Sometimes God's going to say no, and sometimes God's going to let things go different than I want, and sometimes God's going to let me have pain in my body, and sometimes God's going to let there be difficulties in my life, then they they decide, you know, that's not what I'm interested in. Can I tell you this wasn't all done to be about you and me? This is about him. This is not about so we can show up and and God can serve us. We were we were we were driving home started our drive home Thursday morning and uh, everybody else in the family had had to leave at different times, and so it was my wife and Timothy and the three of us. We were left to drive home, and and uh, we had been in St. Augustine, Florida, for a couple days, and we we we, we drove about an hour, and uh, we were supposed to go to Waffle House. Let me tell you, if you've never gone to Waffle House, you don't know what you're missing. It's dirty. You sit there and watch them cook the food, and you're like, "I don't think, I don't think Sister Lewis and the health department's been there anytime soon, recently." But I'm going to tell you, there's no such thing as a road trip unless you've gone to Waffle House. You got to drive a couple hours because I don't know of any around here. You can't. You don't have to. I promise you don't have to worry. You're going to get the same thing at every Waffle House. But you're also going to get a pretty good waffle. So we were supposed to go. And somebody else said they wanted blueberry pancakes from Cracker Barrel. So somebody else had an advocate on their side, but <laughs> you fill in the blanks. So we walk into our, and, and to this cracker barrel, and, and uh, it, it was they had I've never seen this in all the years of eating at a cracker barrel, they had tables set up outside. Usually it's all the rocking chairs and the checkerboards. So, I'm all about eating outside anytime you can. So we went inside and told them we want to sit outside. Okay, well, took us out there, sat us down. Ten minutes later, we were still sitting. Fifteen minutes later, we were still sitting. Being the fearless leader of the household that I am, After about 20 minutes, I sent my wife inside to give them a piece of my mind. Several minutes later, I sent her in again. 30 plus minutes, I'm like, we would have had our waffle and been back on the road by now if we'd have gone to Waffle House. About forty minutes later we grabbed our menus, went inside, went up back up to the hostess stand and said, Please seat us inside. Only to sit down and people that had checked in behind us sitting there still hadn't had their food on the inside. I will never they they said, We're having a crazy day. I don't care. I ain't coming back to this cracker barrel. I don't care if it's a one time in your history day. I won't be back because you didn't serve me quick enough. You got the right to do that with where you eat and where you shop. But if you're going to, excuse me. Uh, they're they're telling me today you can do miracles. I need a miracle, and I would like it right now. Probably not going to happen. Because God's not our butler. God's not our servant. God's not the one to bail us out when things aren't going right. God's looking for a place to live. God's looking for a place to dwell. Psalm 22 and verse 3 says, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. We've kind of created a phrase off of that verse, and we usually say it this way, God is inhabits the praises of His people. Do you know why we start every single service usually the way we do? Do you know why we start every single service usually with worship and singing? It's not because that's the religious tradition that we are bound by. It's because the Scripture tells us to enter into His gates with thanksgiving and enter into His courts with praise and that if we will build God a habitation of praise that God will inhabit the praises of his people, that word inhabit means this. It means to dwell, to remain, to sit, to abide, to sit down, to be set, to stay, to have one's abode. I don't know about you today, but I don't want God to just be a visitor that stops by my dwelling place every now and then. I want God to sit down. I want God to rest. I want God to abide. I want God to be at home. God if you're asking for a place where you can rest I want it to be right here here's part of the struggle that we deal with again the Old Testament is just full of, of object lessons for us in our spiritual walk with God when The Lord told Moses, I want you to build me a tabernacle. I want you to build me a place to dwell. He didn't stop there. You got to understand that Moses spent 40 years, 40 of the most influential years of his life, living in Pharaoh's household, watching the Egyptians. Use the Jewish people to build amazing structures. Structures that still to this day we are wowed by. Moses saw all of that. Probably had some degree of involvement in that. And 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 I always, when I think about this this story, I I I feel like that there was this moment in which God said, Moses, I want you to build me a house. And in just a split second, Moses began to dream. Oh yeah, you want to? Oh man, God, I can build you a house. Well, I know about some structures and and some impressive things, and I I can build you a place, God, that everybody's going to be wowed by. But unfortunately for Moses, God didn't stop there. He didn't just say, build me a house, and when you get done, I'll show up. Oh, Lord. He didn't just say, build me a tabernacle, and, and when you're finished with it, I'm going to come and live there. No, He proceeded to say, This is what size I want it to be. This is how many rooms I want it to be. This is the furniture that I want in it. And this is how I want each piece of furniture designed. This is the kind of wood and metal. And these are the kinds of things I want you to use to build this tabernacle. It got all the way down to how many rings were, were required for the hanging of the curtains. And then to kind of top it all off, it, it was just ugly animal skins from the outside. I believe if Moses would have had the opportunity to design the tabernacle, you would have seen it from a long ways off and thought, wow, look at that building. But God designed it in such a way that not only from afar off but even as you got closer to the outside, you would be like, "What is this? What in the world is going on here? But my friend, when you stepped in, when you got past those ugly badger skins on the outside and and you entered and you and and then the amazing thing was the further you went, when you went into the next room, the holy place you there was there was beautiful furniture and, and and then when you if you could ever get into that holy of holies where the presence of God was you you all of a sudden you realize you know what the outside's not really what's important it's what i'm getting to on the inside but here's the principle i believe we should take away from that is that you and i are now the dwelling place of god And if God was that specific about that tabernacle, is He any less specific about this tabernacle? Many would tell you He doesn't care. In fact, if I could be so bold as just to tell you there's churches you can go to where the pastor's going to tell you He doesn't care. But the only way I can accept that is I have to believe at some point God changed. Because if God doesn't care about this tabernacle that He lives in now, at some point He changed. The problem is this the Bible is full of examples and statements that declare that He doesn't change. And so, if you want God to make you one of His dwelling places, it's not about the decoration you prefer. It's not about the furniture you prefer. If you were to come to my house today, some of you would come to my house and you'd walk around and see the way we decorate it and the colors we've used and the furniture and the carpets and you'd, man, you get, oh, this is amazing and Boy, you, you guys did a great job. Others of you would probably come, and, and, and you'd, you'd just be polite. Oh, nice house. And inside you're going, what in the world? We went through a phase when, when our kids were all younger. We had a colorful house. I mean colorful. Our dining area was red walls. The foyer entry was royal blue. The other rooms were yellow. We've had lime green, we've had it all now, mostly white. If I walked into your house, there's some of you I'd walk into your house go man this this place is awesome well wow, like. there's others of you. I'd walk in and nice, you know it's like that line, it's like that line. You open that Christmas present. Oh, you didn't have to. Which is followed by the thought, and I wish you didn't. You know, you know that when you're getting ready to open a gift and the person tells you, now listen, if you don't like it, I'll take it back. No hard feelings. Oh boy. Number one, oh boy, what's going to be in here? Number two, they have just told me I better like it. (laughs) Because the moment you tell the person that told you that I don't like it, they get offended, but you just told me. You just told me if you don't like it, you'll take it back. It's your prerogative to decorate where you live the way you want to. It's also His prerogative to determine where He lives and what it's like. And for those of you that are just locked in thinking all I'm talking about is the outside, you're missing the point. Does the outside matter? Yeah. But you can do it all right on the outside, and be the most miserable human being anybody's ever been around. You got to get it all the way he wants it, and he's looking for a place to dwell, and he wants you to be one of those places that he inhabits. Why? What's the big deal? What's the big deal? What's the difference between me showing up and visiting God versus God residing where I am? Let me give you just a couple of examples. 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse number 10, the Bible, this ark that I mentioned a few moments ago, this ark of the covenant that was in the tabernacle had gotten taken from the children of Israel, and so David is in the process of going and bringing it back home, and in that process, he decided to bring it home in a different way than it was supposed to be done. And a man lost his life in the middle of all of that, and so because of that, verse verse ten, David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it inside, carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite, and the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. Look at this next statement. This is what happens. When you are a dwelling place for the presence of God. And the Lord blessed Obed Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord had blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because, because for one reason, the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. Before Obed-Edom, we, we don't know who Obed-Edom is. Nothing important about him, nothing significant about him, but now we know about him for one simple reason. His house became God's house. And when his house became God's house, everything began to change. There were blessings that came to his house simply because the presence of God was there. I don't want to just show up to church and place my order and get a few blessings and go on about my business. I want God to dwell in this house because I want his presence to abide here because I want his blessings to be upon me. And as many would say, blessings there, the S's are not spelled with dollar signs. How sad it is that we have come to narrow down blessings from God to have to be something that deals with monetary things. I believe it was the wise man Solomon that said, Better is a handful. Better is just a little bit with quietness, with, with peace, than to have all kinds of stuff. Have depression, have anxiety, have have homes that are in turmoil. Blessings of God. I, I I dare you to try it. I dare you to give God a chance, not not just for a day or two. I, I dare you to, to to try out and see what happens. When you start focusing on, God, if you're looking for a house, here's one. If you're looking for a place to rest, here is a place right here, God, for you to rest. I got a question. What would you think if I said, you know, if you told me, well, I'm really tired. Okay, well, it sounds like you need to rest. So I tell you what, we're going to go walk out 100 yards or so from here. And, and we're gonna we're gonna get you a lawn chair and we're gonna put it right in the middle of Ritchie highway and you're gonna rest how much rest do you think you're gonna get when you are resting it's usually because you got the right atmosphere It's the the surroundings are, they're 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 good surroundings. I I rest the best at home. I got my pillow. I got my bed. I got my chair. I got my space and, and and. Some of you never get any rest because God is just mixed into all the chaos and the confusion. If you want to rest, you need to let God rest. You ever had people over? Don't 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 settle the responses. You ever had people over and you're and you know maybe for dinner. And you, you, you know, you and your family, you're hosting, and you've spent hours working, preparing meal, and cleaning the house, and and they come and they sit and eat, and they, as the old saying goes, they never lift a finger, and they leave, and you're left with all the clean up. But then, you ever had some of those people? Sometimes it's. Seems to me more commonly to be family members that know you the best. But you ever had those people that that they come over, and it's not because they're being judgmental. It's not because they're self-righteous. But it's like they just they see things that need to be done, and they just they just do it. They 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 they. We had years ago. It was, it was the first time when I was youth pastor. It was the first time we I had ever invited somebody for a youth revival, and 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 uh, and 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 the couple they they came, and, and we would. A lot of days we would eat together, my wife and them, and my parents, and 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 uh, sister, brother and sister Scoggins. Anybody remember the Scoggins? It was in the old sanctuary or gymnasium a long time ago. And and uh, she was she was uh, she was quick to help clean up. In fact, sometimes she was too quick. Oh, what I'm not done. I know it looks like it's just scraps, but I'm not done. But again, it wasn't wasn't this attitude with which. It was this desire. Can I tell you? When you make Jesus at home in your house, he's not like that first person. He's like the second one. He starts looking around. Say, boy, you, you sure are making me feel at home. You, you sure are making me feel welcome you you sure are making me feel wanted here so so what is it that i can what can I do for you obed Edom you 've given me a place for my my presence to dwell you've you 've opened up your home so so let me see what it is I can start to do for you one other story and found in second kings chapter four, verse number eight the bible says it fell on a day that elisha passed to Shunem, Elisha was a prophet, Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. Apparently this happened a good number of times. And so numerous times she would see him passing by. And she would invite him to come in and eat and rest a little bit. And then he would go on about his way. But then, then something changed. She, she said, it says in verse 11, it fell on a day that he came thither and he turned into the chamber. And Excuse me, bro, I jumped ahead. Verse 10. Verse 9 again. She said unto her husband, behold. I didn't read verse 9, did I? I haven't preached in a couple of weeks. I'm out of practice, so. She said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God which passeth by us continually. Can I tell you what's supposed to happen when you come here? And if you come here regularly, let me tell you what's supposed to happen. All of a sudden you're supposed to come to this realization. You know what? God seems to be passing by me. It, it, it seems like every time I come, God just seems to brush by me and, and God just seems in some way or another to, to touch me and, and God just seems in some way or another to minister to me. I, but she says, "I I want more than that. He's coming by continually and so we need to do more than just invite him in. Let us make a chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. Rather than us having to invite him in, we want to create a place that he knows belongs to him. Rather than me having to invite God every so often to visit, I want God to know you are welcome to be at home. So she builds this room just for him, strictly for him, so that any time he passed by, he could just go in, no invitation, he had a place to rest. I... You you can read it on. You can read on later for the sake of time. I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to tell you what happened. I don't know how many times he came by continually. I don't know how many times, how often he passed by prior to her making him a room, but he did it a number of times. But what I want you to notice is as much as she offered him to come in and rest for a little bit and eat a meal She really got nothing out of it. But after she had built a place for him that was his, not just a seat to be a guest at the table. You see, many of us are good with God having a seat at our table. But it's our table. She said, I want him to have his own place. And so at some point after him having his own room, he says to his servant, I want you to find out, is there anything she needs? Not one time when she just invited him in to sit at her table, did he ask her what she needed. But when she made a place that belonged to him, he now says, I want you to find out what she needs. She's given me a place to inhabit, to dwell, to abide. Now I want to know what is it. Can I, what can I do for her. So his servant comes back and he says to her, he says, uh, she, she doesn't have a child. Her husband's getting old. Nobody's going to be around to take care of her. So he calls her in. He basically asks, what, what, what do you need? she was content because her motive for providing him a place was not to find out what she could get from him and so he tells her you can again you can read it. if you read it in the king james as is often the case it's pretty you know it's pretty uh official sounding i'm going to give you the dsw translation says, you're going to have a child. And she basically responds and says, don't don't mess with me. Don't play around with me. Because she said, I've already gotten past the point of making peace with the fact I'm never going to have a child. I've been through the disappointments and the letdowns. I'm now at peace, so don't mess with my emotions now. And he said, about this time, according to the time of life, you're going to. Have a child. A short time later, guess what? She had a son. She had reached the point of being content to live with a barren womb. But when she decided, I'm going to create a house, a place for the man of God to dwell, what she had given up on ever happened, he initiated it happening. Now, here's the here's the problem. You can't decide. Okay, I hear what you're saying. So, I'm gonna make God a place. Because if I'll make God a place, I'm gonna get what I want. Uh, God'll see right through it. But God is looking for a house. And and here's what's so wonderful. There are people in this room right now that I believe with all of my heart, you you are living to the best of your ability by the help of the Lord for your life to be a place where God dwells, a place where God rests. But you know what? God doesn't look around at this room right now and say, well, let me see. Uh, There's about... There's about sixty percent that are a dwelling place that I can live in. There's about sixty percent that it's a place where I can rest. That's, that's enough. God is interested in dwelling in every house, and I mean that in the context of us as the house of the Lord. In every house. There's people in this room right now that you probably never invite anybody over for dinner and you never have company because you're kind of embarrassed for people to see your house. I read it to you in the beginning in Isaiah. He says, This is is where I'm going to look. I'm going to look to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Psalm 34 and 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Psalm 138 and 6 says, Though the Lord be high, yet he hath respect unto the lowly. Isaiah 57 and 15 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. I dwell in the high and the holy place. Then that must mean you probably dwell with high and holy people. But he says, with him, it is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And then last verse, Isaiah 61 and 1. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to preach good tidings. Who is it that he's been anointed to preach good tidings to? Surely it's those that live in the multi-million dollar mansions. It's those that have the homes that are very appealing, curb appeal. No, He sent me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Flipping houses didn't start with HGTV. Flipping houses didn't start several years ago in the real estate market. God is the original flipper of houses. Because He walks by houses that look like they are good to simply be torn down. And says if you'll just let me move in, you'll just let me make this my dwelling place. I can, I can fix it up. Chip and Joanna ain't got nothing on Jesus. He's the fixer upper, a fixer upper. There's some, there's some dwelling places here this morning. If you were to look at them here in this moment right now, you would think, well, I don't have any chance. Oh, you, you don't understand. You, you should have seen the before. You should have seen what it looked like before He moved in. When He made it, or when it became a resting place, when it became a place he could dwell and be at home, he started blessing it. He started changing it. He started doing things for it. You know, there's so many things in, in this world that are such great biblical principles, examples, object lessons, and, and, and we lived it. Most of you know we renovated our kitchen this, this year. Started in August, it's pretty much done. But we knew the house was born. Well, born. Yeah, it was born. The house was built in 1952, and, and we knew there, there's gonna be some things we find that are problems that we gotta fix. There's gonna be some electrical issues that have got to be dealt with. There's gonna be some plumbing issues that have got to be. How many. How many naive people in this country have decided to renovate a kitchen because in 30 minutes on a show, they renovated a kitchen with one guy doing all the work? I, I've learned, Brother Evans, I've learned through the years now um, When it comes to people that work in the construction field, there's usually people that you either hate painting or you're okay with painting. Most guys don't do everything unless they just absolutely have to. You watch on those shows and the same guy, he's the guy that does all the demolition. He's the guy that does all the... That is so fake. Reality TV, that's got to be one of the biggest oxymorons, is that right? Ever just pause for a moment when that guy's out there in the wilderness surviving all by himself, just to think for one second who's holding the camera? I'm out here trying to survive. Sorry, I digress. Hear me, please. I, I, I all that rambling to say this. Not preaching to you this morning that when God become when you become God's dwelling place that He just waves His magic wand and suddenly fixes it all. He usually does it one project, one thing at a time, and I will tell you very openly and honestly, usually not as quickly as we want. is there anybody that can join me today and testify? As I look back to the point at which I started to try to become a place for God to dwell, a place for God to rest, there has been an amazing transformation. may not be what I'm going to be. In fact, Josh, I count on the fact that I am not where I'm ultimately going to get to. If where I am in my walk with God, if where I am in my ministry is the, the end of it, that's the climax, I am very disappointed. I live with the expectation and the hope there's more to come. There's more transformation. There's more change. and So if I can just continue to be a place for God to dwell, there's no telling what God is going to do. There's a song we've sung for as long as I can remember. It says, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Want to be a place, God, where Your Spirit lives and dwells. I, I want you to stand, if you would, please. I, I want to do this this morning. A lot of times, you know, the invitation at the end of the message tends to be more so narrow. But I, I just, I want to give a broad invitation this morning to anybody, whether you came today for the first time, or have you come here all the time. Is there anybody today that you've got the desire and you just want to express, God, I want to be. If you're looking for a house. If you're looking for a place to rest, a place to dwell. I want you to know, God, right here is that place. You feel that way this morning. I'm not asking you if you're a guest. I'm not asking you to make a commitment. This is not an invitation to join this church. This is this is bigger than that. This is beyond the invitation to join a church. So if you feel that way this morning, would could I just invite you to take a step as a demonstration of that and just just make your way down to this altar right now as a way of presenting yourself to the Lord and, and expressing not just with your words, but also by your actions. God, you're looking for a house to dwell in. I know there's no place that's made with hands. That that's not what you're looking for. You're not looking for some kind of beautiful structure that's built with the most expensive of materials. You're, you're looking for you're looking for people that are just willing you're broken today if you got a broken heart a broken and a contrite spirit if you're if you're if you're wounded today if you feel like you're a captive today you're exactly the one exactly the one he's looking for god i don't want to just visit your house i don't want to just stop by where you are god i want you to live in me I want to be a habitation for you. I I want to be a place where you sit, where you dwell, where you rest, where you live. I want my life to be the place you occupy, God. I want to be that temple that Paul talked about. I want to be that temple that Paul talked about, Lord. Here I am, Lord. I want you to live in me. I want you to move in me. I want you to I want you to breathe through me, God. I want you to walk through me.
1: Here I am,
0: Lord. Here I am. I don't want to just stop by at your table. And I don't want you to just stop by at my table, God. I want you to have a place in my life that belongs to you. In fact, God, I want my life to belong to you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I want to be a house you can dwell in, God. I want to be a place you live. I want to be a place you are at home in. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. of the challenges that I believe we face is the way we're designed we look at God and we look at the things of God usually from our human perspective and that's there's nothing wrong with that again I that's the way he made us the problem is all of us have experiences that are not the greatest of experiences and so there's certain ways in which if we look at God from our human perspective it actually is not an encouraging thing one one simple example of that is the fact that throughout scripture God is God is identified as our heavenly father for me that's a wonderful thing because I've had a great father and so I imagine God is my heavenly father that's awesome there's many of you in this room today that wasn't your experience and so when you look at God and well, he's my father then it's kind of easy for you to say no thanks so we have to struggle sometimes to put aside our natural experiences and realize that in the example that I'm using that he's not a father like any other if you've had a bad one and even if you've had a good one a good father can't compare to the heavenly father. And I think another I think in the context of this message today another way in which many of us can struggle with this message is most of you in this room have some kind of an experience whether it's a project around the house or something else you were doing or trying that that for some reason you could not finish it. You You ran out of funds. You ran out of resources. Or you found a bigger problem than you knew going into it. You you started the renovation and found out there's some things that just can't be fixed. I think there's some people here this morning that you've got this fear that God is going to run out of the resources to finish what He started in me or God's going to uncover some kind of issue in this house that can't be changed. Can I tell you today, before He ever started the renovation in your house, He knew everything there was. There's nothing that has will or will catch Him by surprise. He's got all the resources necessary to finish what he started. Paul said it this way. He which hath begun a good work. I believe the way it says it in the scripture is he's able. But I'm going to say it this way. He will. He's not just able to finish it. If you'll let him, he will finish it just close your eyes and if any of that applies to you I want you to lift your hands because I want it may be one person but Father right now Lord I pray for whoever may be struggling with fear and doubt Lord those the enemy may be trying to convince them that, that their house is no longer fit for you or, or there's going to be things that you find in their house God the, their, their life as a dwelling place that are that you can't repair, that you, you don't have an answer for. So, God, I pray right now that that lie of the enemy would be silenced. Lord, there's nothing in our lives that is unknown to you. There, there's no hidden issues to you, God. You know all of it. You've got the answer for all of it. You've got the resources. You, you've got the ability, God, to fix it all. In the name of Jesus. God, I pray your peace and your confidence. I pray assurance right now upon every individual that may be battling with fear and worry, anxiety, God, over over whether or not they can be, can continue to be that house that you rest in. You're able, God. You are the author and you are the finisher of our faith. You're the one that started it and you're the one that's willing and able to complete it. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I, I'm gonna say this, and I think I'm gonna be done. I think I will dismiss. And hear me, please, whether you're a guest or you come here all the time. This this is this is one of those kinds of messages. That what you're doing here right now, it's important, but in a lot of ways, it's nowhere near the most important. Because the true application of this message is not what you do here right now. The true application of this message is, what do you do this afternoon? What do you do tonight? What do you do tomorrow morning when you wake up? What do you do when you go to work? What do you do when you go on vacation? What do you do when you're just going? That, that's, when it, that's, that's when it really is applied. And, and, and I know some of you here, you know exactly what to do and how to do it. And those of you that you're saying, you know what, pastor, preacher, I, I don't I, Why do I do that? First of all, there's no big, magical, mysterious formula. It's really just simple. It's as simple as when you get up tomorrow. God, I just want you to know that today I want my life to be a place you're at home in. God, when I go to work today, I just want you to know that I want this to be a place where you can dwell. I, I, I want this to be a house that you are resting in. It's just by communicating. Yeah, you you ought to spend some time every day in focused, disciplined prayer, but but communication with God is not limited to a couple of minutes a day. Riding down the road in your car, you can have conversation with Him. Laying down in your bed at night, whether you're in a room by yourself or you're laying in the bed with a spouse, you can... You can, under your breath, that they don't even know what's going on, you can have communication with them. Yesterday, I I told you I thought that was the last thing I would say. Yesterday in the session with Brother Grossbach, he made so many great points, but one of the points... of the things that I appreciate and love so much about God is this there's always more there's always more there's so many things in life where you can can exhaust them, you can come to the end of them with God, no matter how deep you go in your relationship with Him, no matter how much your knowledge and understanding of Him grows, there's always more. And for better or worse, it's up to one person whether or not you get that more. Not me, not your spouse, not your kids, not your parents, not your friends. Just up to you. God, I pray that as we go from this place today, this place that we so often associate with being your house, the place that we gather, let us leave today with a fresh and a new perspective, God. This may be the place that we meet, but this isn't the place that you're looking to dwell. This may be the place we've set aside to come together to worship and teach and preach and minister and pray and do all these things, but this this isn't the house you're looking to dwell in. You're looking to dwell in us as your house. In the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you again for being here today and especially if you're a a guest today. We're so glad to have you. Hopefully we will see you again this evening. In Jesus name.